Strange Phenomena now has a Patreon page. If you would like to support the show, then you can visit patreon.com slash katebushpodcast to see what wonderful rewards we're offering for your support of the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. But at the beginning when I was getting into the album, I avoided Pull Up the Pen because it was, it to me at the time, sounded chaotic. It sounded upsetting. I wasn't used to her vocal style, and I just didn't know where to go with it. So Pull Out the Pin is actually one of the last songs that I got into on the dreaming. But what attracts me to it is kind of what repelled me from it at the beginning, Mm -hmm. is that it is chaotic and that it is cinematic. It's kind of really embodied, like going into someone's mind and eyes and seeing the world for however long the song is, three minutes or so to see that what's happening through their eyes and experiencing it through their body. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link. And this week we're going to be talking about the third track from Kate Bush's album, The Dreaming, called Pull Out the Pen. week is this is daniel thomas from seattle washington and you've been on several episodes before and this is the first one of you with the dreaming yeah this is i we've been talking previously and this is going to be such a great thing to talk about pull out the pin might arguably be my favorite track on the dreaming you know how it changes though when Mm -hmm. you have a favorite favorite you just can't pick you can't pick a one song from the Dreaming. It's such a great album. So yeah, I remember when when we first started talking on Twitter and everything, and you you said you immediately like I think this was one of the first songs you mentioned, if not the first one. So what is it about "Pull Out the Pen" that makes it one of your absolute favorite songs? Just to give you some background on it, the Dreaming was the first album that I got from Kate. That's kind of a double edged sword because. It is, I think, arguably her best album that she's made. Um, and it certainly sets the tone for what came after it. I don't, mm-hmm. I know how much people love Hounds of Love, but I don't think that would be possible without the work that she did on The Dreaming. So it's just an essential part of her music. But at the beginning, when I was getting into the album, I avoided Pull Up the Pin. To me, at the time, sounded chaotic. It sounded um, upsetting. I wasn't used to her vocal style, and I just didn't know where to go with it. So Pull Out the Pin is actually one of the last songs that I got into on the dreaming. But what attracts me to it is kind of what repelled me from it at the beginning, Mm -hmm. is that it is chaotic and that it is cinematic. It really embodies, like going into someone's mind and eyes and seeing the world for however long the song is, three minutes or so, to see that 
what's happening through their eyes and experiencing it through their body. Yeah, we don't have too many videos from Kate. I mean, Mm-mm. there could be a lot more. I think her video count is pretty low considering that she likes directing them and making them. But with Pull Out the Pin, the video is kind of built in mm-hmm. to the song. I mean, closing your eyes and just listening to the environment and her lyrics and everything, you really get transported to a different place for, for that song's length. And mm-hmm. that is just what made me fall in love with her music. I do agree. This is definitely one of the most cinematic songs that she has ever done, I think. It's, or even up to this point, especially. Yeah, and it's beyond theater. I know before when we were talking about Coffee Homegrown, we talked a lot about the theater. And that's definitely a theater-feeling song. But this is, I mean, IMAX, you know, mm-hmm. huge screen, cinemascope type thing, 3D, you know, all of the new technology. That's what she gives you mm-hmm. with with this song. It just cinematic there's no really really no other word to describe to describe what it does it is cinematic yeah and in fact it's it's interesting that that she made this so cinematic considering that um her kind of her inspiration for this song seems to have actually been watching some watching uh actually a documentary on tv yeah i've never been i know that it's floated around like there was some speculation of what she was actually watching which I would love to see what she had. I mean, I read Weathering Heights because of the song, and I would mm-hmm. love to see the documentary that inspired her. But, I mean, it's it's kind of like an audio commentary almost mm-hmm. for what they would show in a documentary because it's it's actually really kind of graphic. I mean, oh, yeah. the lyrics are graphic, but the visuals are really, you know, it's wartime, and that's what she's singing about. That's how she's making the environment, the production and everything, which is a whole nother, her production on this song is such a, that's a, you know, separate conversation because it's mm-hmm. so, so big, but, um, oh, that's, that, it's a great immersive song. It really just pulls you in. Yeah, definitely on, I mean, this whole album is actually like you, it's my favorite Kate Bush album and for me it's a favorite because of songs like this that that more than ever really draw you into the world and have such really neat production tricks it's almost like everything that she had had in her mind from the beginning that she was maybe unable to do because oh I need to work with this producer and this producer wants it this way um, so I'm kind of stuck doing his style and now that she's out on her own doing her own thing and sure she had, does have people helping her and musicians playing with her and everything, but it's, she's the one sitting there like, no, this is my baby. I'm making this thing and I am responsible. This much like boys. I mean, this is like her boys for Pele, honestly. And I forget completely where I was going with this. Oh, well, how <laughs> this apparel probably get cut out. I'm like, wee, just going off. Like, wee. <laughs> if uh, what you were, you brought up something, though, that talking about how she arranged and produced. Oh, this. yeah. And, and I think it's especially this really, I mean, I don't. I I know I'm not alone in this. At least it's us two that say it. But I know there's a lot of Kate fans that really know her music that agree that Dreaming is really a masterpiece and that she really cut her teeth. I mean, I know she started with um, Never Forever with the Fairlight, 
And I know that the fair like really changed the direction of her music. I, I'm always curious to know if she had not had the fair light, what would her music sound like? Very different. Because it's such, oh my God, it's such oh a world God. of difference yes. that she got that, um, that technology. But that was her introducing it and using it. I think with the dreaming, that's when she was like, what could I really do mm-hmm. with this? What could I really do if I could dub myself? Or how would I put a helicopter blade mm-hmm. in a song? Like, could I do that? Like, what music would I put around it? Well, let's try it. Yeah. And so it was just kind of giving her the space. And I think why she's so successful at it is because she really does have that producer hat to wear. She's mm-hmm. not just a performer. She's not someone that just goes up and says, okay, this is, I'll sing the vocal track and then I'll do the background. She doesn't do that. She, when she's in the studio, she looks at things as a producer would. And that focus is what allows her to do so many tricks and to have something so produced and not have it sound overproduced. Mm-hmm. And that's what she did on the dreaming. And I think that's why <clears throat> the album as a whole but especially this song, I think that's why it stands out so much as showcasing her talent because it's so focused um, in in honing every little detail, but presenting a cinematic mm-hmm. picture. I mean, that's that's like an Ansel Adams kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like you can see each individual tree, but it's you know forty miles away. Like that's what she does with her music. So that's why I mean, you could just put pull out the pen on on repeat and. You know, it's the same experience every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think what I was trying to get to was that it's almost like the production, like music production in general, had caught up with all of the crazy ideas that Kate has probably had since the beginning. I mean, she's been doing songs from unusual viewpoints, like this song included, that we'll get to, but it feels like oh, now that there's the fair light around and I can just sample stuff, I can sample a helicopter. I can sample a car door being slammed for the title track. I can sample my brother whooshing around some bamboo sticks <laughs> for a whoo-hoo for, for sat in your lap. Like, I can do all this stuff. And certainly, I know, like, around this time, 1982, God, one of my favorite albums is um, Construction Time Again from Depeche Mode, which I know came out in Oh, yeah, great. Yeah, that's a good parallel. Yeah, and that one, like, I've watched a documentary about them, like, the making of Construction Time Again, and they they were just, they were going out and sampling, like, them just going out to a construction site and just smashing the shit out of things and recording them and turning them into a drum beat or... They'll they'll take a marble and they'll record the marble falling for some other song. Yeah, and so like it's just the, this whole like early eighties, so, oh we've got this cool technology and now let's see what we can do with it. And she definitely did that like on this song and the dreaming. It's like poof, explosion. Yeah, and she may not you know, a lot of the artists in the nineteen eighties, especially early nineteen eighties, because of that explosion with the tech, new technology and everything. I don't know if she gets credit so much for Mm-mm. being that progressive, you know. Um, but if you look at artists that came after her, like you and I have talked a lot about, actually a lot of touring Kate fans talk a lot about how unalike they actually are as artists, that they don't really share much um, mm-hmm. 
in the way of musical style. But if you look at someone like Bjork, when you look at like, um, I think it was verse 14 that she did all of the tiny dubbing and everything and like card shuffling and stuff. I mean, that's Kate. That's, those are Kate Bush tricks. Mm-hmm. Like she learned from listening to her. I mean, she obviously said that the dreaming is a huge influence on her. And I think that's where it comes out is in the production. So she certainly was, you know, it was 1982 and people, you know, say the eighties and stuff, but I mean, it was really um, innovative mm-hmm. and she really, she really left her mark. I, you know, like I said, I don't know how popular she is with people outside of her circle. If she's generally known to people, but she certainly deserves the credit for being the innovator that she is. The, these lyrics, I will say, like, like kind of looking at the lyrics of this song, there were definitely some lines that I didn't realize, oh, that's what she's saying there. That's like in practically every Kate Bush song. Though, listening to this song for the first time, I definitely got what it was about. I remember the first time I heard this song was in 2000, probably late 2005, and I was just starting to get into Kate. I had had gotten the whole story so I had an idea of like what her sound was and I found the dreaming at an FYE at the local mall and went okay well I hear this one's kind of weird but okay I'll give it a try <laughs> and I put it on my iPod and I remember especially listening to pull out the pin and I was sitting on the, my top bunk in my dorm room listening to this and I had no idea what to really expect from this song and it actually this song scared me the first time I heard I it because see, yeah because yeah, of that especially that just one thing in it me or him and I love life and her screaming I love life and I'm just like whoa what is him what I did, was not expecting that <laughs> It's funny because I um, I was listening to the dreaming once on my computer and I was doing work and my roommate at the time, it was low enough where you could hear the song, but you couldn't make out exactly what, you know, the whole composition. And I was typing and everything. And he said, he turned around from the couch and he was like, what are you listening to? I was like, who is that? Like, because it was the part that it was like the I love life at the end, like the, like the mm-hmm. real breakdown. Like she says, like, I love life like 10 times or something. And I said, well, you know, a bit about Tori Amos. And then people often talk about Kate in the same breath. And this is Kate Bush. So he was like, what is that song? So he played him the song and then he started listening to it. And that was how he got into Kate Bush. Ah. So it was, it was funny. Like someone that's, you know, he turned around really irritated. He was like, who is that? What are you listening to? <laughs> like, why is she screaming? What is she screaming? Mm-hmm. And then he, it just pulls you in. And he loved it for those reasons. He loved it for, like, I can't believe she did this. I can't believe she composed this on record. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you build it? How do you structure it that way? You know, how do you build this song where it's, screams but it's piano and then it's like helicopters mm-hmm. like how do you make that into a song but that's Kate yeah and, and it totally works for for what the song is about I mean she's this is an another one of her first person songs but she's not 
but the eye is definitely not her. And instead, she's seems to be playing the role of a Vietnamese soldier who is following around the Americans and commenting on how, I guess, how big and ugly the Americans are. And, hey, I'm... And pink and smelly. Yeah, he's big and pink and not like me. Mm-hmm. And she's just, it, it's like this, it almost feels like this entire song is just a couple of minutes of a longer movie. And it's all like from the point of view of this Vietnamese soldier who's just walking, who's who's crawling around on the wet, jungly ground and just like slowly popping off all these American soldiers who are just following them in the jungle and they're in the middle of a war. It's fantastic. I'm, sorry, I know. I'm just listening to your I'm listening to your <laughs> description, but yeah, it's like who writes about that now? Yeah. <laughs> who and, writes about history and like crawling into characters like that? Like I know. I mean this whole album myth. is this whole album, even more than her previous albums, is her going into these these characters and these unusual viewpoints, for sure. You know, we were talking, um, I think it was for Symphony in Blue, and we were talking about how Kate uses her sexuality and how she displays it for herself. And we talked a bit about the, you know, anxiety that she must have been under about being so young and being objectified. Maybe the way that she used that experience of feeling so exposed is that she said, well, I don't, I'm going to keep a good private life for myself and I'm going to make it where I'll write stories that are intimate and personal, but they're not going to be about me. Mm -hmm. And so I can kind of be vulnerable within a character or within a story. And then we get all of this because then, you know, later we get stories about Houdini and, you know, get out of my house and like what, what adventures those are. And then, for one side of an album, she plays a drowning woman. So, like, this beginning of her articulating, why, why would I know what a Vietnamese soldier is feeling? I'd have to crawl into the, the story and, like, really take it from his point of view in order to tell that story. Mm-hmm. And so I think maybe, I mean, I mean, I'm just, you know, throwing it out there, but maybe that's how she used her experience then. Because, like we said earlier, these... Imagery, the imagery is very violent and it's very oh, graphic. Yeah. And I so mean, how could you go into that and not be vulnerable or, you know, talking about really intimate feelings about survival? Mm-hmm. And so she did that and that's a gift. So we didn't get, you know, I think maybe it was kind of her rebellion to say, you want me to be a sex symbol. You want me to do, you know, have an image that pleases you. But what I choose to do is write stories and cinematic songs. Mm-hmm. So I guess we want. Like, <laughs> she's Kate's still sexy and she's so beautiful in her own right, but she's doing it on her own terms, and so all of that goes into her music. I love that she that that Kate is willing to write about things other than herself. That she doesn't just go, "Oh, I'm going to write a romantic love song." Instead, if she writes a love song. It's going to be from somebody else's point of view, or I guess even in the case of something like Pull Out the Pin here, like, I kind of think the overall theme of this song is 
it almost ties into the um the title track a little bit for me in that it's it's about an oppressed people who are fighting back and trying to survive and she's even said like for for the the dreaming title track that she she imagined she she thought of the aborigines and their beautiful culture and how they were being wiped out and i want and i feel like that's kind of ties a little bit into this song as well and that to her that oh there's there's actually a, a quote i'll have to look for it here where she says that oh the vietnamese they were these beautiful people and they're just being wiped out by these big lumbering americans and i mm-hmm. yeah i feel like this it's this kind of like ties into almost the album in a whole where it's it's like just how cruel people i guess can be to each other and and trying to survive and just just live yeah and, and especially now when coming out like so long afterward um we're kind of seeing we are seeing in history the points of view of the vietnamese Mm -hmm. that they were they were fighting against something that didn't belong there they were fighting against someone that was wiping out a lot of people in their country and it wasn't looked at at the time when she even when she was writing about it in 1982 it wasn't looked at that way Mm-hmm. You know, it was all about the soldiers that were coming back that were treated badly, but not what not what our government did to to you know send people to Vietnam. And I don't know. I think just my opinion, but I think that if you are an artist, that's the way that you that you get political. I think that's the most effective way is to use your art and to use your talent to say. I'm going to tell you this point of view because I think it's important and it's Mm -hmm. not something that we're talking about because it's not preachy. It's obviously not preachy. Mm -mm. That song is so visceral and so well done that you can't listen to it and not be affected by it afterward. Mm -hmm. And so it should prompt you to say, well, what is she talking about? Like, was it really that bad? And then you go and watch a documentary or you, read something or you look something up or you talk to someone and then become aware that's that is the exact thing of that i'm saying of how important music is in general or any kind of art because it can prompt you to change your life it can prompt you to be educated about something that you wouldn't know anything about otherwise or maybe not care about like mm-hmm. i didn't you know it didn't occur to me to care about whatever this person's talking about but now it really matters to me because she hits so you on an emotional this, level, you know? It's very, and I mean, the emotional impact of it, you don't have to, I mean, I would even say if you didn't understand English and someone just told you this is a song, you don't need the lyrics. You just listen to the song. This is about war and it's from the point of view of a soldier. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just listen to the song without the language, I think it would it would be just as impactful. I agree because she's got, especially in the production, she's got the these. She's got these sound almost sounds like crickets almost. Uh, you, know, you you got the helicopter was whirring, and then the drums like dun 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 almost sounds mm-hmm. like some sort of drums. I was trying to look into the production actually in the song to see, okay, 
like was there somebody playing a particular drum or something to get that sound but I'm guessing it was just something that was sampled or something because it there's there's credit for drums there's credit for uh, fretless bass and vocals and piano but nothing yeah it's so vague though it's like okay well where are the other 200 sounds Mm -hmm. because there's even like the um just as we hit the green i'm trying to think of the lyrics that it corresponds with but there's also children's laughter Mm -hmm. there's like a giggle so like those things like was that a stock child that was on the fairlight was <laughs> like whose child giggled like where did, where did she get that but i was going to ask you because i know you have musical training could you even begin to pick out if you had to listen to that song and play the melody on whatever instrument you play would you be able to pick it out enough to try to play it because to me it sounds like with a lot, the case of a, a lot of Kate songs is that you know that there's bass, guitar, piano, and maybe I don't know a tambourine. But a lot of times, the way she produces something, you can't pick out the individual things because they sound like they're all played at once. Well, actually, on this one, I was I was trying to pick out absolutely trying to pick out as many instruments as I could. I even like turned it way. I turned it way up in my car on the way to work one day and I could I definitely got the fretless space at boom 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 mm-hmm. boom I got that and of course the piano boom 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 and a, and her vocals and I really, I know there's an electric guitar that's credited in the in pull out the pin, but I don't really hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely some backing vocals. Yeah, actually, the backing vocals were done by David Gilmore. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know either until right before we started recording. <laughs> that is one of the best parts of the song, I think, is that call. Mm-hmm. When she, the answer and call that she's doing with the with the uh, chorus. Mm-hmm. With the with the male voice. Well, now it's Dave Gilmore, but with him on, on the backup. I think that is one of the best. That is probably my favorite part of the song is, mm-hmm. is when... Um, you know, and then he goes low and she's high. Mm-hmm. I think that is beautiful. I Me think too. that is the great part of the song. It doesn't matter much to her either of who she's portraying. Like, you know, later we'll, you know, talk about cloud busting and stuff where she plays a little boy. 
or she plays a Vietnamese man mm-hmm. or, you know, she plays uh, a swan, you know, whatever it is that she, she's like, okay. And I mean, just on a personal level, when I started listening to her, I was a very different person than I am now. I was a very reserved person, very anxiety ridden and shy. And I did write a lot. I've always written, you know, my own personal things, but a lot of times I wouldn't start stories because I was afraid of the content or I was like, what do I know about, you know, being a little girl in 1700s or something? Like, how could I do that? And then she really inspired me to say, do you have something to say? Or if you have a story to tell, then you tell it. Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't pay attention to the content. Like, you are a channel. You are a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And whatever story comes through you, that's what you are telling. So don't take it personally. Don't, don't ask those questions. What do I know about that? Because the story will drive you. The story will give you what you need to write and you can experience it through writing it. And that opened up like huge, 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 huge for me. And now from Daniel Thomas, his essay on Pull Out the Pin. With Wuthering Heights, Kate proved her astonishing talent to crawl into the pages of someone else's story and tell it as if it were her own. She summarized a classic novel into song as no one else could. Her wailing vocal delivery pierces through time, eternally yearning for acknowledgement and closure. Her lyrics concentrate a lifetime of hateful devotion into a tortured lament. Each note, each measure, whittles the wood into the sharpest edge, a stake for the most lovelorn hearts. Pull Out the Pin tells the story of a Vietnamese soldier who defends his home and family from the pink, smelly American invaders. The song enters the story where the soldier readies himself to kill. We feel his journey through life, Buddha, and death. Kate sympathized with a documentary about the Vietnam War told from the Vietnamese point of view. Given her own circumstances, she felt sensitive to those in conflict. She again used her intuition and talent to give a voice to those overshadowed by the American plight. Even though the song opens with, I've never been so happy to be alive, the solitary feeling quickly becomes survival. The soldier doesn't need Americans to defend his independence, he can do it himself. We all find ourselves at the beginning of a frightening situation, promising saint-like calm, but it quickly falls into emotional chaos. The song's somber mood continues. Kate then highlights the soldier's anger at having to defend what belongs to him, claiming it with the line, I love life, so I pull out the pin. She colors his description by telling us of beautiful... She colors his description by telling us of Buddha on his lips, so if the soldier dies, Buddha remains near. He remembers the kids, the home, the environment that will help the soldier defeat the faceless American. His reasons for fighting shining clearly. The world now consists of two people, me and him. As me draws nearer to him, me begins to notice details about his target. Me perceives his differences to him as more reasons to kill him. Me thinks him couldn't possibly understand his point of view. Me kills him instantly as vehicles rush by. Hidden, Me looks into him's open, lifeless eyes and begins to see him as his counterpart. Me sees him's life, his wife, his divinity. Me slowly realizes that he caused death, he extinguished light from the world. Me again screams his reasons for fighting his guilt multiplying, but the helicopter and dread swirling around him nullify his pleas for redemption. 
Me finds that time nor prayer can reverse what he's done. Me begins frantically, desperately screaming for forgiveness. I love life. Me's begging for forgiveness. Me's begging for mercy falls on the deaf ears of the jungle. She doesn't comfort. She retreats back into her ancient state, fearing only the songs of her insects. Kate expresses her ideas through the characters she writes. Her feelings become lyrics buried in speech and narrative. With few exceptions, she shows no desire to connect with the listener in any other way. Tori, obviously, handles things oppositely. She tells stories from a direct point of view. They belong to her, and emotions in her songs ring clearly from her heart. Even when Tori refers to herself as the Tori in the song, it doesn't dilute its impact. From the dreaming, Pull Out the Pin best illustrates the most glaring differences between the two artists. Firstly, their musical production cannot be more disparate. Tori had not yet used a full band for her songs. The other instruments played as accents to the main sound of the piano. Kate used every bell, whistle, animal sound, scream, button on the fairlight, speech, phone call, answering machine to create her story. Only her precision keeps it from being garish and excessive in a distracting way. Secondly, the listener can relate to Tori's songs countless times because they tell of personal, authentic parts of life we all experience. She never avoids discomfort, honesty, or vulnerability. In fact, those are the very brushes she uses to draw us into her experience. In contrast, Kate uses sharp detail and highly specific craftsmanship to color a story so completely immersive, yet the heartfelt tales come from her characters, not directly her. They share the same and deep level of intensity, but for quite different reasons. However, Kate's masterpiece affects us regardless of who experienced this. Her composition and arrangements strongly build a tragedy, while her vocals while her vocals transport us to this world of hurt. Pull Out the Pin remains at the top tier of Kate's discography. Discussing it in the same breath as Tori's equivalent in quality is quite appropriate. Few artists bring such consistent talent and diligent work ethic to their projects. Here, we enjoy two. Tomorrow, we step three-step into the circus of incompetence of our lives called Suspended in Gaffa. Until tomorrow. Because the funny thing is, you got you got Jimmy Bain, right? Mm. Who was in a mad sort of, you know, he was in um, he was in Rainbow, and he's in Wild Horses. Yeah, he, he seems to play on all on all the crazier tracks. Mm. I think what I enjoyed again about this album because each track has got a very different mood, really. All groups of tracks have got different moods. Yeah. And um, it was nice to use people almost specifically for what they were very good at. Yeah. And I mean, I always think of Jimmy as being a really simple rock and roll bass player, which doesn't mean to be detrimental, right. I think it's great, actually. Because um, what, what those songs needed that he was on was a very simple, very driving bass that was just going to keep the whole thing going without being distracting or too full. Or, right. And uh, Jimmy was just right for that, really. So he worked on the three tracks that I would definitely say were the rockiest. Right. Were the most up tempo, perhaps the most aggressive. 
And did that have something to do with the fact that he'd with Wild Horses had a contract with BMI and he was still under? Ah, oh, see, I didn't even know he was with BMI. Really? I knew he was with Wild Horses and I met him um, when I bumped into Bill Lennart in a, a recording um, Really? When was session. that? This is at the townhouse and I was there to just um, look over the studio because that's where I wanted to work. And Phil was actually going to give me a weekend of his time that he wouldn't be using. So I just went in to check out with him that it would be okay. And he was doing a really far out vocal at the time. Phil was? Yeah, it was really beautiful. What, and was just, it for his solo album or? Um, no, I think it was, I think it was Thin Lizzy because the band was there with him. And uh, Jimmy just happened to be there and I just sat next to him. We were both going, oh, great voice. And um, I just happened to hear that he'd been involved in a couple of other things that I liked, so it was quite a coincidence. And it seemed just sort of right, really, to use him for the rockier tracks. But like, um, there's a couple of other tracks, like uh, Pull Out the Pin. I really wanted a double bass on so I had to get a double bass player. And I wanted it to be quite, quite sort of funky, without being flippant or sort of jazz rock, you know what I mean? And uh, I knew Danny Thompson uh, from having seen him work with John Martin. And I really liked it because like, with John's voice, and his bass, it was really very free um, and very, I found it very expressionful, not not sort of um, technical, but very emotional double bass playing. So I thought he'd be perfect for that channel. And it, you know, that happened with quite a few musicians where although I've got more or less a set band, there's really quite a few tracks where perhaps guest people come in for this or that reason. And I suppose in another ways it worried me um, the start because of perhaps lack of continuity. But then because the songs were so different from each other, um, it, I'm glad, I mean I'm glad now that that's the way it worked, but I did have some worries at the time because I was using, you know, maybe three or four different people. Right. But um, I'm actually quite pleased with the way it came out. You're not, so you've not really got a band as such anymore, have you? No, that's actually quite a depressing thought. Well, not really. Well, it, yeah, and I think what's interesting, uh, she's actually spoken quite a bit about this song. One of them, uh, one of the things is from Keyboard Magazine in July 85. She says, my motivations are not social or political. It's an emotional motivation where I'm so moved by something that I have to write. Oh, that's evident. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. evident. Yeah, that's for sure. It's interesting that she picked that song also. Because a lot of times you get, you talk to artists and, you know, there'll be a song that you just, oh my God, this is it. And this tells me about this. And then, you know, they talk, the artist themselves talks about the song and then they're like, oh yeah, that didn't mean that at all. I didn't really think about anything about that song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You just ruined it for me. I know. (laughs) But she must know. I think, I think if there's one song that she could really point to and say, God, I really did something. I think one of them would be pull out the pin. Mm-hmm. I think she actually knows like how what what a good job she did on that. I think that's one she'd be most proud of. Mm-hmm. Just as an observation. Yeah, she says uh, this is I think also from a keyboard. She says there was this fantastic TV documentary about a cameraman who was on the front lines. 
He was a brilliant cameraman and he was so well trained a technician that he kept filming things no matter how he was feeling about it at the time. Some of the stuff he was shooting was really disturbing. Some of these Vietnamese guys would just come in and they were sort of dying in midair and he'd just keep on filming. It was strange the sort of irony that these Vietnamese who were fighting the Americans were Buddhist and they'd pop a silver bullet that they wore on a chain around their necks into their mouth before they went into battle. So if they died, they would have Buddha on their lips. This is the whole irony throughout history between religion and war. Breathing is about human beings killing themselves. I think that people smoking is one of those tiny things that says a lot about human beings. I mean, I smoke and enjoy it, but we smoke and we know it's dangerous. Maybe there's some kind of strange subconscious desire to damage ourselves. It would seem so if you looked back through history, wouldn't it? Why isn't Kate doing interviews all the time? I know. (laughs) I love that I'm still like... Fantastic opening to that. I love that I'm still early enough in this entire project that there are a lot of quotes from her about her songs. Because when I get to the later stuff, it's going to be like, uh, yeah, she's never talked about this. She's never even acknowledged it. It's, like, it's existence. <laughs> yeah, she just kind of released it. And then that was like, here you go. Like, and then okay. kind of left us on the later stuff. Yeah. And then this is from uh, Zigzag in 1982. She says, I saw this incredible documentary by this Australian cameraman who went on the front line in Vietnam, filming from the Vietnamese point of view. So it was very biased against the Americans. He said it really changed him because you because until you live on the level like that, when it's complete survival, you don't know what it's about. He's never been the same since because it's so devastating people dying all the time. The way he portrayed the Vietnamese was this really crafted, beautiful race. The Americans were these big, fat, pink, smelly things who the Vietnamese could smell coming for miles because of the tobacco and cologne. It was devastating because you got the impression that the Vietnamese were so beautiful and all getting wiped out. They wore a little silver Buddha on a chain around their neck, and when they went into action, they'd pop it into their mouth so that if they died, they'd have Buddha on their lips. I wanted to write a song that could somehow convey the whole thing, so we set it in the jungle and had helicopters, crickets, and little Balinese's frogs. We forgot about the frogs. I know! I'm like, I remember the crickets! <laughs> but, yeah, they were crickets, just... Crickets, they stand out. They stand out. But the mm-hmm. frogs, yes, I forgot about the frogs. I did too. But there are, indeed, in this production of the song, there are so many different layers of things going on and yeah you could just close your eyes and you feel like you're right there in like a a damp jungle in the middle of war maybe you hear distant bombing there's fire there's smoke everywhere like you feel like you're right in the thick of it it's it's quite amazing really getting into it like i a lot of times would skip pull out the pen and it was just too much Mm -hmm. it was just overwhelming like you know, and get out of my house was another one, which was mm-hmm. later. Um, sat in your lap too was one actually that I really loved that I would always turn up because of the drums. Mm-hmm. Oh like god, the, yeah. the percussion, the percussion on the Dreaming album um, is fantastic, and especially in Pull Out the Pin, the percussion is really strange because it's not traditional. Mm-mm. I mean, I can't imagine like walking into the studio when she's recording Pull Out the Pen and she's like, this is what I want you to play. Like, how did she explain to them what to play? Actually. <laughs> when it's such an unusual song. Yeah, actually, um, looking here in, um, I know in Under the Ivy, 
uh, Graham Thompson mentions that when it came to record doing the dreaming and probably this song too, just in general, that what she was dealing with were more like uh, painterly overdubs is how he put it. So rather than everybody all sitting together in a room playing together, it was okay, we're going to bring in this person to do this particular part here and this other person to come to this other part. And so what she was dealing with instead of everybody all together playing all together, it was just putting in little things here and there. And also her just letting herself loose on the fair light. And I know she had had, she, yeah, she used it on never forever. And also she was hanging out with Peter Gabriel who had one of those cute, one of those cool toys and she had collaborated with him and he used the fair light a lot. And what's interesting, like I can listen to the dreaming and security, which is um, the Peter Gabriel album that came out like the week after the dreaming if you listen to those two albums side by side, they're they're not the same because they because Kate and Peter are still two very different artists, but like mm-hmm. the way that they both of them use tech used technology and the way that they just immerse themselves into other characters is quite similar, and they the albums work really well together. Like if I put "Sad in Your Lap" with "Rhythm of the Heat." And then um, there goes a tenor with, I forget the song, oh, uh, San Jacinto and vice versa all the way on down. It works really well because of just because both of them using like more like people coming in just for for this one part and not jamming together in a room like I'm sure it was done for the kick inside, for example. Right, right. Yeah, that makes more sense. We kind of just have to isolate everybody and say, just do this one particular thing and don't listen to anything else. Because if you, I mean, if you tried to like join in and play something like if you had to, you know, the piano has its structure in the song, but if someone were to say like, I don't know, take, um, take, you know, the instrument that you play and just join in, where would you join in on pull out the pin? It's, it's, it's already set like you can't it's not something that's like off the cuff it's very structured but i i really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the structure of her songs it's it's very um obvious to other musicians because i know uh, tori miss obviously mm-hmm. in the 2014 documentary on kate bush talked a bit about kate and her production that was one thing that she talked a lot about of how much she respects her as a producer and also um it wasn't a Prince interview, but Susan Rogers was a was his sound engineer for the most prolific part of Prince's career, which would be like I think she was around from like eighty eighty one or eighty two to like eighty eight. And so I mean in that space Prince had recorded enough material for, you know, thirteen, fourteen albums and it wasn't filler, it was true album tracks that he could fill. And he, she talked a lot in an interview about um, listening to Kate's music and what he drew the most out of it was the production and how she, what microphone she used and how she dubbed things and how she arranged things. I mean, Prince was always the one, you know, that used, composed, produced, written, and performed by Prince. So he was obviously always touted as the person that could do everything. 
But if mm-hmm. he's looking at someone and saying, what is she doing? How did she get that song to sound like that? I mean, that shows you like what level of talent we're talking about. Yeah, actually, this is a, a quote from Under the Ivy. Um, it says here, this is actually like talking about how they like put all the, 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 the songs together. Um, for the musicians, recording the backing track for the songs backing tracks for the songs was a process somewhat akin to assembling furniture when the instructions are in Aramaic and written in disappearing ink. A typical session on a song such as Suspended and Gaffa could be a long, strange affair. Bush would first play the song on the piano and the drummer and bass player would drop in and try to follow. Then the questions would start. The drummer might ask, you know, the second time we go to the fifth section, something strange happens there and I end up on the wrong beat. Where most musicians deal in conventional verse-chorus bridge structures, Bush's songs, though not always lacking choruses, were often split into several distinct sections, sometimes in different time signatures. The musicians would be constantly writing down where the changes fell and frantically matching them to the lyrics. Bush would play the song again and everyone would concentrate intensely, trying to find a way of playing such a choppy piece of music as seamlessly as Bush seemed to be able to sitting at the piano. Often the entire ensemble collapsed into exasperated hysterics. Quote, I did a lot of editing together of different takes and it got very confusing at times, says Nick Lanay, who was her, um, the uh, recording engineer. Eventually you'd get there, but it would be really complicated. I don't think she had any realization of how complex her songs were. To her, they were very simple. She would explain things to the musicians who came down, not in terms of notes, but in terms of the feeling she wanted to get across. She sat in the control room watching intently as they played parts over and over again, trying to capture what she wanted. For much of the album, Bush, as producer, was fighting the creeping suspicion that many of the musicians were looking at her and thinking, God, does she really know what she's doing? Some of them were indeed (laughs) having doubts along those lines. Hers was neither a conventional nor terribly musical way of working, and it was hard work for the session players, even those who had played with her for several years. She was really breaking ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- those types of those types of views, like, we thought she was crazy. You know, I regretted taking this job. Like, you know, those things, those things people say, and then it's like, but she knew what she was doing, and look at what we have. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful story, because I, I can imagine, like, I mean, I, I defer to you because you have the musical thing. I don't, but I, you know, in order to get a great idea across, you have to be able to explain it and it has to be clear. The direction has to be clear. Knowing what little I do about music, I just don't know how you explain something that play a feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, that's so abstract. Like, how do you play a feeling? Just tell me what you want it to sound like. No, you have to make it sound like he's running. Mm-hmm. You have to make it sound like he's breathing his last breath. Like, how do you do that with a guitar? How do you do that with fretless mm-hmm. bass? Like, I don't know. And also, and then for... you play something, and it's like, no, don't do that. And also, especially for for session musicians who are more used to, okay, we're supposed to come in and just play this one chord, and yay, kind of get it over with. But yeah, that's not the way Kate likes to work, and it's definitely what makes her unique, <laughs> in that she's more about just the emotion of it rather than like oh being technically correct or something like that yeah that's um i think that's really evident you can you don't hear training you hear Mm -mm. practice and you hear honing a craft and tori that's another way that they're dissimilar in tori amos you hear the training 
Mm-hmm. You hear that she knows exactly what structure goes where. She she has been trained to look at music in a very specific way. And she knows this is where I want it to end up. This is where I want it to go. And she sees it as, you know, a destination. She, or she doesn't see it as a destination. She sees it as a goal. Whereas Kate Bush, it's like, okay, we're going to kind of stop here. And then, you know, and pull out the pen. This is when I start screaming. Mm-hmm. And then after I scream, then I get the frogs ready because those are going to go at the end. You're going to hear the crickets. It's going to fade out with crickets, right? Mm-hmm. And make sure to have, you know, make sure it sounds like the grass is burning. Like play mm-hmm. that with your piano. Make sure, you know, the grass is burning. So like, it's just a very, like almost ethereal way of making music mm-hmm. because it's not looking like I could structure it this way and it could come out. She was probably saying, I'm going to play this piano piece, but I'm going to think about what he's feeling while he's walking through the jungle. Yeah. And that's what changes her music. That's what drives her. You know, Tori can have that emotional impact, but it's in a different way. Mm-hmm. It's, or I'm sorry, Tori could never sing Pull Out the Pin, and Kate could never sing something like, you know, um, never know, seen like, blue here uh, in your hand or something. Yeah. yeah. I, I listened to, t- I listened to never seen blue earlier today. So that's why it's in my head. <laughs> no, you're right. I know that's a, that's like, where did you pull out that track? Cause that's not a very well known track. Like no, of all the but, songs, um, I was trying to think of an album one, but um, yes, it's true. I mean, they have very different skill sets and they, each of them can do something the other can't. So mm-hmm. stop comparing female artists. They're allowed to be discreet on their own. Yeah. Well, we don't um, do that with men. We do that I, with women. I was women. just about to say they never do that with guys. It's just, oh yeah, David Bowie is David Bowie. It's not, oh, he sounds like so and so and so and so. But they, yeah, they always do that with with women artists, and it drives me nuts. <laughs> Here, I actually found another cool quote from uh, Under the Ivy, kind of speaking of like this work ethic of Kate, like being very like particular and and being like a baker um this is this is actually about um when she started doing the sessions for the dreaming um because she was using a commercial studio owned by virgin records bush was at the mercy of their schedules the townhouse had other bookings and loney or nick loney was needed elsewhere so the sessions moved to abbey road for several weeks in july and august where she worked with house engineer hayden bendall whom she first met when he was when she was working on Roy Harper's Universal Soldier. They recorded Pull Out the Pin and Night of the Swallow during the sessions, which Bendel recalls as being, quote, fragmented, difficult, very long hours. Everyone worked very hard. Yeah, I don't envy him. I mean the 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 result was fantastic, but I just can't imagine how they got there. God, it must have really been something to work with her during that period. Because it was just, I don't know, they didn't have a basis for anything. No, they didn't. The dreaming doesn't sound like anything that she did beforehand. You know, it. you can hear pieces of it from, you know, pieces of Never Forever are in the dreaming, but these are all turned up to like 11. Especially even on this song, like she, she's also manipulating her voice more. I, what I think is really interesting, and there's, it's here in Under the Ivy, that for I Love Life, when she was roaring on that, and also in Houdini, um, she would actually drink a pint of milk and eat two bars of chocolate to build up the mucus in her throat 
so that her voice would sound more gravelly. And I just, <laughs> yeah, and it, it actually is true. Like, I, I, I know that if I drink a lot of milk and eat a lot of chocolate, like I do for me, I get a lot of like extra stuff and gunk in my throat. Those are the things that they tell they tell singers you're not supposed to do because, oh, you need to make sure you have a clear sound and all that. And instead, she's like, no, I want my voice to have a little bit more balls to it. So I am going to drink a crap ton of milk and eat a lot of bars of chocolate and also probably smoke some weed because that's what I do. And roar, I love life, <laughs> you know? It's funny because some of those methods are what Mercedes um, McCambridge, I think it's her name, used to be the voice of Reagan in The Exorcist. She ate, I think she ate raw eggs and drank whiskey and smoked a lot. And she was tied to a chair. And then she got, she said that her voice just started doing really strange things. So when you listen to the demon and there's crackling and stuff, that's just her voice. It's not effects oh, wow. because of what she was doing to her throat. So there's some points in the dialogue where you hear crackling, like someone's really sick. But it's just her voice of what she was able to do. She was a radio voice actress oh. as a career and then got that job. So she she said I'm it was really easy for me to imagine what what was happening in the room because I had to do that for radio. But Kate's voice is it's so funny because you go to her first song, you go to Wuthering Heights and it's so high mm-hmm. and lilting. And then you hear, you know, what she sounds like on the dreaming where you know, pull out the pinch, you think screaming, I don't life or like, you know, sat in your lap of how she's just wailing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so great. Oh my God. It's so joyous to hear her do that with her voice, but you were so feminine in, you know, Wuthering Heights and why are you sounding like this? Mm-hmm. Like it, it just goes back to like that image of like, kind of like good girls don't do that. They sing mm-hmm. pretty songs. It's a, it's a really refreshing thing that she ignored any kind of limitations of, you know, that's really what Pull Out the Pen represents to me musically. Like she really ignored any kind of um, restriction or like, you know, women don't sound that way or mm-hmm. we would prefer your lead single to not be about Vietnam. We, you know, it wasn't a single, but we don't want that song. We want pretty romance songs. Can you write another like, Pride and Prejudice song, maybe. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, have Weathering Heights 2 or something. And it's like, I'm not doing any sequels. I'm doing a new song and a new story every time. I, mm-hmm. I have a lot of things to say. I have stories to tell, even if it's ugly. Even if it's a piece of history that no one wants to talk about. I want to talk about it. It's valid. Well, and also at this point in the 80s, I think we were just starting to kind of deal with the aftermath of Vietnam. And that's actually something that's come up on another podcast that I listened to called 80s All Over. And it's these two guys who actually lived through the 80s. And they're going through month by month, they're going through every single movie that was released in the 1980s. Like they're talking about not just the big movies, but like even little movies that only got released for a couple of months sometimes at a time and there have been mm-hmm. a couple of songs i've i've listened up to i've caught up with reality they're in, at this point they're in mid in 1984 
And there have been a couple of movies, like Vietnam-themed movies, and of course the Rambo series. And they pointed out after one movie in particular, I can't remember. Maybe it was one of the, maybe it was Rambo: First Blood, that it feels like okay, now we're starting to deal with the aftermath of it, and that was about this time time period, 1982. So yeah, I remember as a kid seeing all of like the 2020 in the news specials that they started interviewing soldiers and what they actually saw and what they actually did and reviewing policy of what led them there. It it was a focus. I mean, you know, it's it's certainly something that still needs to be talked about. I mean, we always need to talk about our history. Mm -hmm. But this is such a unique way to talk about it. Like, I'm not going to talk about governments. I'm not going to talk about communism versus democracy. I'm going to talk about what it feels to be a soldier that your home is being invaded and I'm running from bullets and I'm hiding so that someone doesn't kill me. Someone that invaded my land and that they're going to kill me. I'm hiding from them. That's how I'm going to talk about the Vietnam War. Lately, I have um, a big deficit in music that talks about social issues. We don't have access to that. I, I don't really know of you know music that's coming out in everyday life that is talking about things at this level. And I think that makes Pull Out the Pin stand out even more today because we don't talk about the things that we need to. We don't revisit history. We don't have, you know, many people in music saying, are you aware that this is happening or that this did happen, that this is our history that we need to take responsibility for? Mm-hmm. And so it makes like talking about the song now, it makes it like, God, I wish we still had that kind of um, presence in, in popular music. And having her telling something from a... Like I mean, especially on this song, it's it's the natives' point of view, and just putting in these. Yeah, you. Could, I think probably one of the most graphic lines on this song, and I actually did not realize this is what she was singing until I really dug into the song for for this podcast. In the first verse, only seven miles behind, you could smell the child, the smell of the front lines at survival. Oh my god, that's just That's one picture. That's yeah. only one picture in that song. And I mean that makes me think of napalm. And the, the use of napalm and by the soldiers for just trying to wipe out it wipe out as many people as they could in these villages and people running around on fire and and actually this 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 line makes me think of I think it might have been Platoon or The Deer Hunter, one of these other movies I remember watching for a movie project that actually has soldiers in Vietnam and it it makes me think of that movie and that image. It's just it's harrowing, really. Speaking of graphic. Yeah, those those movies were pretty graphic. Oh yeah. Probably necessarily so. Yeah, you learn to ride the earth when you're living on your belly in the enemy or city births. Who need radar? We use scent. They stink of the West, stink of sweat, (laughs) stink of cologne and backy and all their Yankee hash. I was going to ask you where you feel um, within the songs of the dreaming, where you would put this in just like a ranking of like either being you know, affected, like making a statement or being affected, like where would you put, um, because there's so many strong songs on, there's a lot of really heavy things that she talks about on the dreaming in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I know you've already talked about it, but in Sat in Your Lap, I mean, so much of it is just anxiety. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, like, Sat in Your Lap is the length of, you know, that song's length is a panic attack. Mm-hmm. You know, and she and it sounds that way, and she built the music that way, and There Goes a Tenor sounds like a pink robbery. It mm-hmm. sounds like you're trying to be quiet, and then you have these moments where it's loud or it's pensive, and you're waiting. And, you know, with Pull Out the Pin, it's literally war. It's, you know, combat. But where where would you say that Pull Out the Pin um, falls in its effectiveness of the album? I'd say very effective. I think that it, it for me, this album is, I think the overall theme is how terrible sometimes people can be to, to each other or sometimes even to yourself. And I feel like this ties in really well with that theme. I mean, whether it's, uh, whether you're a Vietnamese soldier in the midst of the Vietnam War tracking a smelly American, or you're an Aborigine watching your culture being wiped out by invaders, or in even in Get Out of My House that you're you're, you want people to go away and maybe you trying to isolate yourself is going to eventually hurt you or how do you how do you decide what ideas you're going to let in and what ideas are you going to reject and leave it open or something mm-hmm. like that I'd say it's pretty I say this is really effective in, in terms of how it sits on the album for sure yeah, I don't know that I could pick a, like, this is the one song, you know, I don't know that I could do that. I sometimes feel like I can, but I don't know that I can, because they're, they're all effective. They're all mm-hmm. so, the statements that they make are so, you can't argue with what she's saying, and you know exactly what she's going through. Mm-hmm. All of us have had those that near that moments, you know, we've all tried to work really hard on something and then looked at someone else and think, they did that in a breath and it took me months to do this. And I just, I want to get there. Mm-hmm. I want to get to that point And I just, it'll never happen. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I did a really good job and I'm just, God, why can't I just do that? Why can't it just happen for me like that? And I don't want to train for years. I, I want it now. I just, mm-hmm. I don't want to have to go through that. I just want to be comfortable and, you know, and in pull out the pen, I just want to survive. Mm-hmm. I think it's you know I think the dreaming, mo I would say all of them deals with some kind of panic attack. They all deal with something that really feels like, at the time and in the context of each story, it feels like life and death. Mm-hmm. You know, this literally is life and death because they both have guns. But um, panic attacks can feel like like life and death. Um, mm-hmm. Robbing a bank is pretty dangerous. <laughs> you can uh, get typically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Usually, that it carries that. Or feeling stuck. I mean, you know, yeah, suspended, suspended and gaffa gaffa. coming, but that's another one. You know, everyone has felt that way. Everyone is like, just I don't know what I'm doing, and someone please come and get me because I'm I can't help myself. I'm my hands are tied, and I just really feel hopeless, and I really need something. Why do I feel this way? And I'm also thinking, too, um, later on in uh, Night of the Swallow, that's somebody who, oh, I want to go and do this job, and but I feel stuck. Or all the love, like you, you're you stuck with 
how you you want to you you didn't get to tell the people who really matter to you that you actually loved them and so ah what do you do about that mm-hmm. this is one of her her most cinematic songs for sure and i really wish that there had been some sort of video even though this wasn't a single but i wish that there had been a video for it though the song by itself works really well visually just like like we were talking about with with these lyrics my goodness i believe it was through it was for she talked about considering making uh a video um for every song in hounds of love Mm -hmm. i think that was something that she considered what I wish would have happened is that she had done a video for every song on the dreaming. Mm-hmm. I think that, I mean, obviously the ninth wave and everything is a self-contained video. I mean, that could happen because it's a self-contained story, but I think what would be even better and more detailed and more immersive would be a video for every song in the dreaming. That would have been, oh my God, and especially pull out the pin. I I just, I was really disappointed that she didn't include anything from the Dreaming on the, um, before, uh, before the Dawn tour. Mm-hmm. Because it really, it really felt like, couldn't you do just one song from the Dreaming? <laughs> like, that was so yeah. pivotal for your career. Like, could you have just included it? But it's her choice. It's her music. But pull out the pin on a stage would have been um, mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. Because she, I, I would, could imagine if she had ever did this on stage, and uh, it would have been a big set with lots of trees, and she would have, like, been all dressed up as a soldier and, like, singing and probably crawling on the stage and having her dancers all be, like, kind of, pretending to be be some of the Americans or other soldiers mm. following behind her. I imagine this would have been something like kind of like army dreamers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what she ended yeah, up Yeah, that would have been great to see. Yeah, that's great. That's one of the things about Kate's career that it's really hard to swallow sometimes is the lack of live performances or tours you know, it it le- that's a deficit that we have. Like, I wish that there were so much more performances that, that we could see. Like we've we've talked about before. You know, what would what would a live performance of Pull Out the Pin in 1982 look like compared to what it would be now? Mm-hmm. Or what would it have been like? You know, after something like um, you know an election or like another war. Like, how would that have changed her vision of what she was talking about? Yeah, and we just don't have that, and it's a shame because she certainly gives us videos through her music. So I just wish we had something filmic, oh, I and do that too. would be that would be great. Because I would love to see, I would love to see her just go back to her older music. And I know there's the remasters, so obviously she's thinking about her older music because of the remaster box sets. But I mean, go back and like 
revisit this and maybe do a piano version or do some other little version of it and just like how do you feel about this song now i wish she would what i really wish she would do is i wish she would work with a dance company and Mm. choreograph an album i can see her doing that prince did he worked with the joffrey ballet i think it was in 93 and four choreographers picked i think at least a few three or four songs they could pick any song from the catalog and they just made dance routines to it and the dreaming especially that more than any other album i know people really love lots of love but more than any other album i think is probably the most visual mm-hmm. i would in my opinion it is and i would love to see what some really talented choreographers could come up with to express the ideas that she has on that album and especially pull out the pin because pull out the pin can't be that literal. Like it has, it has to include that emotional aspect of it. And I would really love to see what, you know, she was a dancer. She did some great dancing uh, in her performances and, and videos and the tours that she had. So if she could work with them, we, she, we really need to talk to her agent. <laughs> we really need for to talk real. to her and say, like, would you consider doing this? Because we've got some really good ideas for you. And we know your music really well. So I think, we, you know, you should listen to us. <laughs> well, or someone could do a Broadway show of her music, you know. Well, I will say there were rumors that she was considering doing Sad in Your Lap for the first part of Before the Dawn. And... That mm-hmm. would have been, I'm not quite sure the adjective, it would be a positive adjective because, oh, she'd be at least revisiting some of her older music, but also hearing her try to do something like Sat in Your Lap with her current voice, like, would she end up moving it down or like, would she end up transposing the song? Because I know even Tori has done that with a couple of her songs live since she's gotten older and her voice has changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, would Kate have done that? And maybe if she did something like pull out the pin now, would she, I mean, it's not that wide ranging of a song, but would she change it in some way? Who knows? That was the first thought that came to my head when you said that. It was like, but how would she sing it though? What key would she sing it in? Because she, she wouldn't sing it in the same way. No, I mean, that song, like, like a lot of her songs is very high range. It's, it's very rangy. It's not something written for the average Joe Schmo listening to the radio so that they could sing along with it. No, it's not what she does. No, no. Okay, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk about Pull Out the Pin today. Yay! Anytime. It was a pleasure. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song that you would like to talk about for a future episode, or if you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, you can contact me at the following places. Email kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. The contact form on my website, kbcast.linkmedia.com. On Twitter at StrangeKateCast. On Facebook, 
facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast. And also we have a hotline. So if you would like to call and leave a brief message talking about your favorite Kate Bush song, or if you just want to ramble about Kate Bush for a couple minutes, we'll consider playing it on a future episode of Strange Phenomena. That phone number is 1-757-349-6886. That's 1-757-349-6886. Join me next week for a discussion of the fourth song from The Dreaming. We're keeping on, keeping on with The Dreaming here. And we're going to be talking about Suspended in Gaffa. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.